All right, welcome to the next movement. I'm Rob. I'm E. And this is your boy A1. Don't sleep records. Earthy notes, house depot quotes. Huh. If you woke, then vote. Uh-huh. Don't get home by hope. Yeah, oh. you ain't ever sick off dope. That's why I take my bread by the loaf. Uh-huh. The kitchen is confidential. Yeah. The recipe is mental. Uh-huh. Whipping up raw to have hip hop heads begging for more. Uh-huh. In desolate times, I'm peddling rhymes for a living. Uh-huh. Uncle Luke gave us the freedom to stay spitting. The First Amendment exercise with criminal vision. Manifestos penned in political uh-huh. prison. Dark wave, shadow king, black palette and risen. Uh-huh. I'm on a Zarkon shit. I'm shocking the system with mysticism. Golden era, New Yorkism. Uh-huh. Sleep is the cousin of death. No uh-huh. fall victim to doubt. But get blinded yeah. by clout. Cause when the dope uh-huh. runs out, I'm inflating prices for the drought. Afrofuturistic, bad dude, clever. Meditation, yoga. Shining fantastic on the doja. Wise like Yoda, Socrates. A1, thanks for joining us. No doubt, no doubt. Happy to be sitting down with y'all, man. We appreciate your time. We we have a long list of people that, that as you might imagine, that we we want to talk to. But I have to admit, after I saw um, Underdogs, after I saw the documentary recently, I slept on that. But I watched it recently, and I said, we got to get A1 on the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's what's up. I'm glad y'all saw Underdogs. If you haven't seen it, go watch it on Netflix, man. Let's get the numbers up. Let's get back on everybody's front page if we ain't there. So check it out. Yeah, how, I'm wondering how that, how that has changed things for you and don't sleep. Um, I don't sleep. So that's really, that's really, that's really what it is, man. Like, um, you know, when it first came out, it was pretty, that was, it was, it was hard. It was real hard because my phone was going off like all day long, like 24 hours a day. Like it would just go off, whether it's an email or ringing or um, somebody just sending me a message saying, yo, I saw the documentary. So it was real crazy. It was overwhelming, but it was still a blessing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I gotta, I gotta send a shout out to the team, to my homie, the director T.O. Frank, yeah. as well as the everybody with Don't Sleep, Sister Gift Phonics, you know, Deflo, Boy Anti Lily, everybody who made it, made it, made the documentary happen. Um, Trace Distribution, um, Mason Strail, all those people just you know, helped us. And um, shouts out to the Downtown LA Film Festival and the Hip Hop Film Festival NYC and everybody who gave us the opportunity, um, you know, when a lot of doors were being closed because yeah. it was a journey to get that joint out there. It's such an interesting and inspiring story. And it really, I think for me, really touches on some of what we find interesting about uh, about the scene today. In particular, you know, the difference between long distance relationships and recording and creating over the web versus meeting someone face to face and interacting with them in person right 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 um yeah it it is i've been doing that that's funny because i've been um recording with people that i never met for probably uh since 2007 2008 time frame yeah yeah so um my first opportunity was actually through the web this is pre-instagram this is pre well, I wasn't on Facebook at the time, but um, this is MySpace era. So my first opportunity was through my MySpace page. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people that was a er- I'm an early adopter of technology and some things that are new. Mm-hmm. So I was on MySpace early, had a bunch of friends on MySpace, and my music was getting out there. I was recording with a collective uh, of um, MCs and producers called the Soul Students. We were based out of Hampton University, HBCU in Hampton, Virginia. Mm-hmm. My man Al Bums and Mac Menace had a radio show, um, Soul Students Radio on 88.1 FM. And, you know, they helped me basically craft my first album. The Soul Students, the collective, put it together with production from Al Bums, Chameleon Beats, predominantly produced most of the record. My man Ock and Indelible. And through that funnel, we were able to get it up on MySpace. And through MySpace, a company in Japan actually heard my music and wanted to put out my album in Japan. 
So this is the internet already working, and this is all through email. Yeah. So I was able to secure an independent licensing deal mm. where I still had rights. I still had rights to my music, yeah. but it was selling in Japan, and the deal was great, actually. And so just from the first actual full-length album that I created, I was I had a, 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 a situation. So I've been kind of on the underground and having situations since 2008, you know, so yeah, that's, that's why I'm independent because the first opportunity that really came my way was independent. And I learned a lot from um, Goon Tracks, which was the company out in Japan. So they just showed me how to move and all of the cats on the label, I, I stayed in contact with and collaborated with and just kind of always we all just moved independently. It was like school for us. Mm -hmm. um, and it showed me that there's a world where you can connect and meet people online. You know, a big record that I had did with a producer, my first million streams, you know, on any platform was with my boy Thomas Prime, and he was from the UK, um, based out of London. I didn't meet him until like six, seven years later, mm. <laughs> you know? because we recorded through the internet so the internet definitely um, gave me a lot of love and I'm just happy to be an early adopter of those long distance relationships and making it work with serious people yeah yeah and I don't think you're alone in that I think a lot of artists are finding that it's easy to connect with people and it's easy to, to get work done that way oh yeah yeah definitely definitely um, and with hip hop you know hip-hop everything moves kind of slow so on the internet you know people are a little bit more hungry they willing to get it done fast if you chilling with somebody in the studio there's a lot of small talk a lot of unnecessary things being done before you get down to business hmm. so time gets wasted you know a lot of the time and earlier in my career um because like the soul students that crew was my friends they hmm. still are like they they like uncles you know, to my to my kids, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we, we wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, and I, and I thank God for my wife that she was a part of that. And uh, she could tolerate all these cats in the house, in my crib. We recording, <laughs> you know, and I mean, all day long. Like, it was just <laughs> like sometimes they never left. So, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate her for that. Do you find there's a difference, though, in, like, the creative energy, uh, you know, when you're working with someone face-to-face -face versus um, remotely, like, through the web? To be honest, no, not for me, mm -hmm. because I'm inspired by nostalgia. So if you, mm -hmm. if you listen to my music, you can hear, like, the, a lot of people say, yo, you sound old school or you got that feeling. Yeah. Because I'm I'm inspired by nostalgia, you know. Um, that's where I draw all my inspiration from. Because I feel like at hip hop's prime was when it was younger. You know, that's all of our prime. If we think mm -hmm. about if we think about a life and a lifespan, hip hop now is mature. You know, it has evolved into full adulthood. It's forty plus years old. Right. So I draw off nostalgia. I draw off the nostalgia of the youthful hip hop energy. So even though it sounds old, it sounds old school, it has this youthful exuberance mm -hmm. that glides through the music yes, that makes energy. you feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That energy, that energy, that enthusiasm that I have through drawing from the nostalgia is what keeps me going. So because I don't have to feed off of somebody else, I don't necessarily need somebody in the room because I'm actually feeding, feeding off my ancestors feeding off of the past and the people who paved the way for me because that was the most inspiring to me. So it sounds like technology just has created a lot of freedom for you as an artist then to create your I, your own, you know, vibe and your own energy and style. Absolutely, absolutely. So for me, I live in a bubble in my own world because as an artist, if you are, um, how can I say this? If you're too much of influenced by the now, you know, you can make your music sound dated 20 years later. Mm. So for me, 
for me, I'm always thinking, even though I'm drawing from the past, I'm always thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. And I want to make music that you'll never know when it was recorded. Yeah. You, you know, so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm, I'm aiming to do, and I try to stay away from um, just feeding feeding too much off of right now because for the moment it's witty, and for the moment it's, it's, it it may be successful, but it doesn't age well if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think you're I think you're you are succeeding in doing that. I mean, I think your sound does sound timeless in a certain way. Thank you, thank yeah, you. I welcome. appreciate it. And I appreciate it because it's, um, you know, it's just a lot of things mean a lot to me. And, and as far as the culture is concerned, um, you know, and it's certain things that we could never get back. So mm -hmm. I, w I always tell people I was born at the perfect time and in the perfect place. It was like I was at the right place at the right time and everything aligned. And I was born to the right family who knew the right people. Like, so this has been my destiny since I was born mm -hmm. to do what I'm doing because, you know, this, the, I couldn't write a better story. You know, uh, author Alex Haley couldn't write my story. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, seriously. So, you know, being born in the 80s in Brooklyn and Fort Greene, what they call the head of Medina, not only did I have all these rappers coming through and MCs coming through, because of the location and being close to Albee Square Mall, being close to Fulton Mall, and being in Fort Greene. You know what I'm saying? I also had a, 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 a black man that I seen making movies. And, 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 you know, like with Spike Lee, because he was in the community. So I saw all of this, all of the arts were around me. So it wasn't not only music, it was also film, mm -hmm. you know. And um, it was just an inspiring place to live in. And, and, you know, musically, it was like a proving ground, you know. So everybody used to come through. Everybody would go to the Albee Square Mall. And a regular day in the mall, you might run into your favorite rapper. It was just, I mean, they made a song about the mall. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so you know, um, just being at the right place at the right time. And, you know, having my uncle and my aunt. I got an uncle. That's like 12, 13 years older than me, and an aunt that's 10 years older than me. So when I was in grade school, they was in high school. So I had the perfect teachers okay. to guide me through the culture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So shouts out to my aunt LaShawn and my uncle Bartice. They, they, really, they really, you know, showed me and, and, like, guided me through the culture. And their friends, some of them were rappers, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was perfect. It was just perfect. The sense that, that we have in like reading some of your interviews or, or listening to some of your interviews is that uh, the people that you're talking about, the people in your life when you were young, really, really were intentional about passing on, as you said, passing on the culture and literally passing on music, right? I mean, you've ta I've heard you talk about your father like sharing music with you. Absolutely. Is that something that you, that you try to like do yourself as a parent? Uh, well, because I'm running a business out of the crib and, you know, my kids are coming to, like, film festivals with me, they are very aware of what's going on. You know, people send art through and it's like, you know, oh, somebody made a picture of that or, you know, they see the albums, the, the vinyl in the house is everywhere. So they, yeah. they see product, you know what I mean? They see, they see us actually perform. Um, it's been times where... We had to do shows, and when my youngest son was born, we would have to take him on the road. I remember, you know, having to have a nanny, which was our home, one of our homegirls, um, Ivy, because my wife is tip to give. She, she's an artist as well. And we were doing a show in North Carolina with EPMD, and we had to bring him. So yeah. he's at the hotel with her. We're doing the show. We're going back to the hotel, going to bed, you know, and being parents again. So it's jumping out of those hoops or uh, family friendly things they just come along with us so they right. you know I'm I, I'm showing them how to be independent how to move you know to your own beat so that they can you know pursue anything that they want to do with a with a uh, sensibility of independence and freedom and that's that's more of what I want to show them I, I don't necessarily want them to be musicians I prefer that they you know, find their own endeavors um, and do whatever they wish. I just want them to do it with the freedom 
to know that they can do it on their own if need be. So if they if they came to you and said though they wanted to be rappers like their parents, uh-huh. how would you handle that? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it seriously because <laughs> um, it's a more for me. My parents understood what I wanted to do right. because they didn't have to help me. Sure, you know my first primitive recordings are when I was fourteen years old because I sought out my neighborhood DJ and bugged the hell out of him. Rest in peace, DJ Big E. But mm-hmm. I bugged the hell out of him and his mother to let me in his crib because I knew he had some equipment and I wanted to record. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's definitely primitive recordings of me at 14 years old, maybe 13, rapping. Mm-hmm. I, I signed myself up for a talent show when I was 12 and I was, you know, performing some real raw lyrics over J. Rue, the damages come clean mm-hmm. with a bald head. My head came <laughs> completely bald at, at 12 years old, you know. Oh, wow. So my, par- my parents knew that, okay, we're not going to stop him because he's going to do this on his own regardless. Right. And by the time I was 17, I already had music in the streets locally. I was, you know, on mixtapes and things that were circulating, circulating around the Hampton Roads. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time my in my early 20s, I was already on a local radio, you know, whether it's doing promos or having my songs played. Mm-hmm. So I did all of that. The only thing I asked my parents for was a ride here or there, you know, but I came up with my own studio money. You know, I, I did all of that by myself. Right. So, so you know, um, it was people that helped me along the way of the business partners, you know what I mean? The people that believed in me, like my um, big brother, Kaveen, he really, he really looked out, you know, and um, showed me some ropes and helped with studio time and things like that. But it was still on my own. It was with my own friends and my own crew that we were able to, to, to you know, fulfill this dream. And my parents just supported me along the way, you know what I mean? So... I will always give my children support, but I think that they will have to prove to me that they're passionate about this because I think that that's the problem with oversaturation now. Everybody thinks that they could be a musician mm. and they not necessarily, they not necessarily born to do this. It goes to show, I love you so, the pain is real and how I feel without your glow, is it be so? <laughs> I thought I would let you know. Love should be greater than disagreements. Sometimes you can't live through the lens that you see with. Sometimes you can't lead with your heart cause it's biased. Sometimes your morals and values make you a liar. We are all hypocrites and all ignorant. Our memories are selected to our benefit. Like I don't remember the things I said to hurt you in the heat of an argument. Patience may be a virtue. That was absent from my mind at the moment. I don't get the vent often. I ain't got nobody. I guard my emotions and my insecurities. Cause I was raised to be proud in my immaturity. Cause I'm a man. I wasn't raised to have a heart. I was groomed to survive and trained to provide. When a man is not fulfilled or his day has purpose. His soul is off balance. That man will feel it worthless. Goes to show. I love you, so. you mentioned your wife. I'm I'm real curious what it's like to be married, like to be an MC and to be married to an MC. Can you talk a little bit about like how does that how does that work? How does your creative relationship work versus like life at home? Well, we met through music um, through a mutual friend of ours who was in um, our homegirl Katisha. She thought that we should meet. Um, she was going to Norfolk State at the time, and it was part of her senior project to do like a mini documentary and it ended up being myself and uh, my future wife, you know, she was part of it. And at first it was all music. You know, when we met, I thought that she was extremely talented and we went to directly to the studio. That was like our first unofficial date and we started (laughs) recording and we just recorded and recorded and recorded. And, um, when I met Al and the Soul Students, I had her come along because, I mean, she was incredible. I thought she was dope. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she became part of that collective. It wasn't until much later where we became romantically involved because of the amount of time that we spent together and we mm-hmm. built uh, a unique and, um, and, and a, pure, a pure friendship. 
um, which I thought was very valuable and very important to maintaining our relationship for so long. So, you know, I've never been a, a, a huge part of her creative process. She's private in her creative process, okay. you know, and um, she works alone best. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind that. You know, that's that's for her. With me, I'm a stream of consciousness creator. So mm-hmm. when it's time for me to sit down and make music, I'm going to work until I'm completely finished because I make music off a stream of consciousness. I don't go in the studio and hum some melodies and then fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I write bars and really write, you know, complete thoughts down, and uh, then I perform that. That's 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 the process. So, um, I'm, people say that I'm fast. You know, like I turn over tracks fast. It's because I have to. I have to get my idea complete in 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 that in that moment, or I feel like the energy is not right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Does Tiff like speak into that, or does she give you like space to do your own thing, basically? Um, I let her hear things, and she definitely gives me space. But she also would tell me to you know, do something differently or okay. change this or, you know, it could be better. Mm-hmm. And if she gives me some advice, I usually am going to take it because <laughs> she's just one of those type of people that have a great ear for music. Right. You know, um, in fact, she helped sequence uh, my, my album, Matt Black Soul. It would have been a different order. But um, yeah. that arrangement and sequencing of the songs was her and uh, phonics for the most part it wasn't me because i had things in a different order <laughs> okay yeah she's a dope mc in her own right so she, yeah i can pro- i can see why you um mention her when you're asked who who influences you as an mc and who you are currently listening to as an mc she she has impeccable skills on the mic um it's made me wonder because you just value her as an mc um, and it has nothing to do with your marriage and your relationship with her. You just really appreciate her, her artistry. I'm curious how you feel about the term female MC and its use in hip hop culture. I think that is, is stupid to be honest <laughs> with you because an MC is an MC mm-hmm. and we never really distinguished a female MC at first. Right. People people like to label things in order to sell them. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's a selling point, you know, and it was a selling point I believe based off of selling sexuality and music. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not it doesn't necessarily work when you're trying to describe a real MC. Right. You know, when, when you say female MC what are you what are you really trying to say I, right. and i think people i think people have that historical context because hip hop also has a very short memory mm-hmm. and i think that they have that a bit misconstrued you know what i mean um because i just never recall or remember people saying like oh mc light is a female mc or queen light when they first came out or this is a female mc mm-hmm. you know some of the first mcs were female MCs. Correct. When you think about the Funky Four plus one more and Shot Rock, you know what I'm saying? A female MC. Absolutely. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, everybody's gonna have a different opinion about mm-hmm. that, but I think that if somebody is 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 a MC, then they're an MC. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shouldn't be a female MC because it's not like an actor and an actress where it's the male and the feminine. Obviously. It has to be different then because people play different roles. Right. But there's no role, there's no role for the MC. Mm-hmm. You know, the MC is the microphone controller to move the crowd. Right. And whether you're a man or a woman, you can move the crowd. So, you know, I don't know. I just I just feel like it's it's overrated and yeah. overplayed and yeah. um we need to get away from labels because labels is where it has the culture divided right now. Um hip hop is a culture. So there shouldn't be subgenres of a culture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, we're over here nodding our heads because we could not agree <laughs> with you more. Yeah, I think yeah. that I, I, I don't. I, I, yeah, everything you're saying is is on point. I, I don't see the need for it. If I'm a woman in the game and I'm an MC and I'm doing the same thing as a man, why are you 
throwing a gender on all my artistry. Does it make any sense? It, it doesn't. And I take you back to, to two groups in particular who were really modeled after the same thing. When you think about the Diggable Planets, mm-hmm. they won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Supreme, supremely talented. Ladybug was really the front man mm-hmm. of the group. Of the group. She was the front man of the group. People wanted to see her, even though, you know, Butterfly and Doodlebug were equally dope. They were there, but she was kind of the, 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 the front, the, the lead in a, in a sense, you know. Yeah. I would say that Butterfly took on that role, but people wanted to see Ladybug. They wanted to hear her. Mm-hmm. Just a few years later, after their extreme and phenomenal success, you have the Fuji's drop blended on reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same concept. Yeah. And Lauren Hill is the front man of that band. Mm-hmm. And they went on to do, like, what, $40 million off of the score, off of the second album. Mm-hmm. The same type of success is no better success than having a woman on stage because it completes the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. Man and woman standing side by side. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that woman has to be in the front in order for people to truly understand the power, you know, that, that they hold and, and give them respect. And it also takes strong confident men to be able to stand to the side and give that woman space to be who she is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I just think that we've gotten away from from that with this female MC and selling point that somebody in a suit that is not a musician decided it was cool that went to school for marketing, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> so I mean I mean, you know, we, we just have to take our our culture back because we don't now that independence is so much in the front and presence in mind and everyone, we can take some ownership back of the culture and begin to, you know, disseminate that out into the ether into the world, you know, and it, and thank thank you for having this and having a forum that is really um, built on the culture of hip-hop mm-hmm. and kind of reaching out to, to cats like myself. You know, I listened to the um, Uncommon Nasty joint as well, and I, I just felt like it was refreshing yeah. to hear people who are knowledgeable about it because part of the reason why we got so far away from actually having a culture and just utilizing all these labels is that our journalism and the people who were the the historians and the in the in the note keepers and the the bookkeepers and the timekeepers got paid off and journalism became paid for play yeah. and when the people who write about the culture are getting paid to do so and and paid in his in his payola then they're gonna write bullshit you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying mm-hmm. and um and you know that's been more of a that's been more of a problem in the game that's not been addressed than artists making whack music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause, you know, because you can make whack music, but if 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 a, a publication says, "Man, this is some bullshit," no, everybody's gonna say, "Okay, I, I I agree." But if some writer, some kid that got paid to make a post says, "Oh man, this is the best thing in the world," off of a reputable publication, and people are gonna listen to it differently, and maybe say, "Maybe I was listening wrong," and eventually you gonna believe that lie. So that's what that's what's been happening mm-hmm. to our culture for a long time. Yeah. And it's about time it's about time that people understand about that payola and hip hop journalism and how, you know, we label ourselves and take on all of these labels from these black ass journalists, you know what I'm saying? Like what is cloud rap? What the hell is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel you. <laughs> Okay, okay. So that's how I feel about female MC. Like, what is cloud rap? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> no need. I don't. The answer to your question is, I don't know what cloud rap. I don't is. either. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't know. <laughs> Another meaningless label. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate. I appreciate everything you just said, and I also appreciate what you said about the show. I think it feels like high praise because we intentionally set out to do something that like respected the culture and preserved it in some way mm-hmm. so i appreciate your words on that no doubt no doubt um i really like um podcasts and i like this platform because it's the line of notes to mm-hmm. you know the music that people listen to yes um it, it's it's the backstory and you get a little bit more 
And this is for those people that are digging for more information. So yeah. I appreciate anyone who takes the time to put something like this together. So keep going. Thank you. We will do that. I'm awake now. Top of the morning, gotta get it. Blue collar, nigga. Clocking in for the digits on my day off. The max on, I'm recording, amplifying game. Around the world, they hit my story. Niggas got bills, and we got kids that gotta eat. No excuses. You get it legally or street scale hot shit. The block been sunburned for months. Jeff Sessions and Trump talking shit on the stuff. So whether you rolling blunts or just the sign in the bar, be ready to run like Gump when the sirens are in the front. I'm awake now. I know my niggas, they a hundred. But these forces are funded by private prison corruption. These political pundits, condescending and puppets, they slurp me like they said fuck it. I watch them and can't help chuckling. I'm awake now. I know my niggas, they are hated. And now I'm calculating with every move that I'm making. I'm never faking the fun. It's never lazy to jump. But some do what they told, and some do what they want. It's whatever's on my mind that I'm putting in my rhymes. If you conscious, you may find a jewel or two up in these lines. I'm awake now. Top of the morning, getting cake. I'm awake now. Cause if you sleeping, you are late. I'm awake now. Talking that shit, niggas relate. Speaking of backstory, I mean, I have, I have a question I think might be a little personal, but... I, I've heard other artists talk about this struggle and I'm wondering how, how it's affected you, especially being in a, in a family where both parents are artists and MCs. Um, how, how do things like health insurance work? Like, is that, is that a, is that a burden? Is that something that you, you have to like really work hard to figure out? Well, to be honest, I got to, again, shout out my wife for having a phenomenal job that has health insurance because I mean, music for us makes money. It's my, it's our, my primary, it's my primary source of income, you know, but for my wife, you know, and our situation at home and having children, we need health insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not always on the road. We're not always doing something. So sometimes you supplement what you, what you need with having the nine to five. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, no. I think that that's, I think that sometimes for artists, especially having a nine to five, even if it doesn't pay much, is a way for you to stay human. Yeah. Because Fonte said it best: never resent what you love, what you do out of love. You know, it was a point in time where I was doing this for free. You know, this was something that I just loved to do. You know, no expectations. Just the 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 I wanted props like Black Moon said, "Who got the props?" That's mm-hmm. what I wanted, and. It evolved into something else for me, and yeah. I thank God for I thank God for those blessings. But private insurance and buying directly into the market is literally a mortgage for a family. Yeah. You know, uh, I have three children, so you know, you're talking about five people, and we have great coverage. We have Blue Cross Blue Shield. That same plan would cost probably. Fifteen hundred dollars per month, mm. you know, out of pocket. Right. Um, here, maybe in New York City, it'd be more like two thousand, twenty-two hundred, mm-hmm. because it varies state to state. So, um, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, struggle could be more based on ego and what you what you willing mm. not to do. And sometimes you gotta. I think that you gotta do what you gotta do, and, and life, you know, like I have. Um, part-time gig that I that I do because I needed something to do. I needed to get out of the house. Right. I felt like I felt like all I was doing was either with the kids watching cartoons or consuming way too much cable news, mm-hmm. and it was I was bugging out. So I had to get out of the house, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do something that was in the industry. So I um began working for a, a vinyl manufacturing plant called Furnace here in Alexandria. And um, because the vinyl, you know, aspect of it, I thought that it would help my business Mm -hmm. because I wanted to learn more about logistics and more about the process of manufacturing vinyl so that when we were putting in our orders, I knew that we wasn't getting beat, you know what I mean? Because I wanted to double check and there's no other way to double check but to be behind the scenes. Needless right. to say, we're not getting beat. We're actually getting a great deal. You know? <laughs> I was wondering um, if, you, if you get a little discount. Um, I don't press it. To be honest, <laughs> it's, we do really big stuff. You know, like um, 
you know, they have huge contracts and I would much rather not associate my business with this business because I like my job and I don't want to <laughs> resent my coworkers if sure, they fuck yeah. something up. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yo, like, yo, these labels is off. What the fuck? You know, excuse my language, but yeah. I would be, I would, I would be pretty much, I would be pretty upset. So I like to keep things professional, but mm-hmm. I learned so much from the people here and the owner and, you know, all my coworkers. I learned a lot about vinyl and the science behind it. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really helped me in making business moves. So the last time I went to Europe, I went to, um, meet one of our biggest customers, um, a store called Hip Hop and Vinyl, and we did an in-store in Berlin. We met the marketing director and all of that, and I just, I felt like that was something that we needed to do because, you know, they've been so loyal to, to the label, and, um, you know, we have a direct relationship with most of our stores. We don't use a distributor. We are the distributor. So we, we cut out everybody. You know yeah. how people talk about they go to the plug, we go directly. We go directly to the plug from the manufacturer directly to the store. There's no middleman, so um, we do pretty well. But again, back to the struggles. Hip hop and music in general need to come up with a better solution for artists with insurance and all of that. Because my life would be completely different, and we wouldn't have to swing side hustles and everything to make up. For the difference on, you know, things like insurance, you know, I wouldn't have to go outside and, and to get a 401k. In fact, I think ASCAP and some of our societies, our publishing societies, should offer a way that we can use some of our royalties and just drop it in the retirement fund instead. Right. Instead of getting them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I could do it on my own, and I do do that on my own. But I think that sometimes you have to protect yourself from yourself. And I think that it would be just smart. You know, we won't see artists talking about GoFundMe. You know, I need a, 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 a new liver. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I don't got no insurance and I didn't save no money. Like, we wouldn't see that. So I think that, you know, as much as Congress likes to talk about doing work, I think that, you know, assisting the people that actually make America great, which is the community of artists, that, you know, fulfill, fill up museums and make music and make films and things that people enjoy. We need more protection and uh, a a more appreciation from our own country and our employers who we make millions of dollars for, you know. Absolutely. You know, when you work for a label or when you're employed by a label, in my situation, you know, that's not the case, but I still think that we need that. That would be something that I hope to see in my lifetime. Yeah, I think you're right. I hope to see it too. I wanted to ask, you're an MC that grew up in the golden age and you know, it was, you know, this was before everything was digital. So I'm curious to know if releasing physical copies of your music is important to you as someone that grew up listening to hip hop in the eighties and nineties and who had tapes and I'm sure CDs, is it important to you? to release your projects on physicals? Yes. For me, it's very important to do that because I view this as art. Sometimes the opportunity won't present itself to do that based Mm -hmm. on time constraints. Mm -hmm. But if there's the time to do it, yes, I would love for every project to be on vinyl or CD because God forbid something happens and we lose a platform. Right, like the Spotify or Apple Music, what happens to all this, the music that's in the digital space that nobody never downloaded? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the people that actually have the hard copies are going to be able to have an archive. So history can be archived through the people who purchased it. So in a sense, think about all of the artists that never need a physical copy and just live in the digital space Mm -hmm. we lose that digital content you know something happens with a server and people lose all of the music somewhere you know all hell will break loose and some people's art will be lost forever you know Mm -hmm. and i think about things like that you know what what happens if 
God forbid we we have a, a, a disaster or something and we lose, you know, companies or we lose people for that matter. We lose so much of our our content because, you know, digital is down. You hear things about, you know, um, EMPs where, you know, uh, electro, electromagnetic posts can come through and just destroy everything. It'll never work again. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, is vinyl is analog. It will work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, um, so I definitely think that if an artist can have a painting and hang it in the museum, I want my vinyl to always be on somebody's wall or in somebody's record collection. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's collecting dust, because their grandkids might pick that up and discover me. So technically, it's about immortality. I will live forever as long as there's something, a physical part of me. So I look at every piece of physical music that I have produced mm-hmm. as an extension of me that can live forever. Yeah. You know, as long as as long as it's not destroyed. Do you have your own collection, just as a as a fan of the culture? Oh, definitely. I have vinyl <laughs> in both. I have vinyl in both cribs. Yeah. <laughs> like I work, I work, I work at a vinyl manufacturer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of vinyl. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I fell in love with vinyl at the turn of the the century, the you know, the beginning of millennia, um, I felt like things were going so futuristic and we were losing some things that um were near and dear to our hearts and people yeah. were forgetting about about holding on to things that I just started wanting to find something that I could hold on to and records became that. And then mm. when my wife and I moved in together, she had records too. And I was like, Wow, and um, we've been blessed to have family members and close friends just give us their collections. And I really love getting someone's collection because um, you learn a lot about them through their music, the choices that they listen to. You know, like um, uh, my wife's aunt, you know, my aunt, my aunt Brenda uh, had passed away, but she wanted my wife to have the music. And, you know, I learned a lot about Aunt Brenda and had a lot of memories of her through her vinyl collection and mm-hmm. listening to her records. And I could put those records on and see her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and see her personality. And I collect so my kids could do the same thing. But not only would they be able to see what I listen to, they'll be able to hear them. You know, as long as those records exist. So, um, it's just like I said for immortality, and I think that that keeps people alive. It keeps us all alive in some way, shape, or form. Because I discovered people that are not here anymore. You Absolutely, know, um, yeah. yeah, through through that, through through vinyl. Um, so definitely uh, keep a collection. I'm in love with that part of the culture, that aspect of it. Those are some of my earliest memories. Looking through my parents records and and opening the vinyl and looking at the pictures um you know not being able to read but like i i just i remember that i remember being a little kid doing that and i just i i don't think you can ever replace that that feeling that you know being able to hold music in your hand no no not not at all you can't you can't ever replace that feeling it's something special and um just so perfect about a tangible product um you know that that makes so much sense mm-hmm. um vinyl is still uh a mystery you know it's still people want to know how does it get made and they don't understand the science mm-hmm. and the chemicals and things that go into it and i'm blessed to be in a situation where i'm seeing how much science goes into making a record and you know it's it's incredible it's incredible, and, um, you know, it makes me love my records even more and appreciate them even more because now I know somebody's blood, sweat, and tears went into actually making somebody's dreams come true, mm-hmm. you know, because I, um, when I started here, I started in packaging, and I kind of just went through every little job at the plant, um, and then eventually I started actually pressing and working these industrial machines and um, 
it's it's not easy work. It's hard no, work. It's, it's not, hot. Yeah. It's 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 hot. You know, I've I've gotten burned. <laughs> you know, uh, worse has even happened to some cats. But it's it's the science that goes into it, and how smart all of the people around me are. You know, everybody's just so on point. It's yeah. just amazing, and the enthusiasm that has to be in this building and the people that are here love music. That's why they do this job. So, um, you know, it's really, it's really dope and, and special and important, I believe, to to just hold on to, to physical things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. This feels like yeah. a great. This feels like a great segue into talking about Illmatic. Yeah, yeah. And yo, Black, it's time. Bird, bird, it's time. It's time, man. Alright, begin. Yeah. Straight out the fucking dungeons of rap But fake niggas don't make it back I don't know how to start this Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm I be kicking, musician, inflicting composition Of pain, I'm like Scarface, sniffing cocaine Holding an M16, see with the pen I'm extreme Now, bullet holes left in my peepholes I'm suited up with street clothes Hand me a nine and out defeat foes Y'all know my stilo, with or without the airplay I keep some E and J, sitting bent up in the stairway Or either on a corner, betting grants with the CeeLo champs Laughing at base heads, trying to sell some broken amps G-packs get off quick forever Niggas talk shit, reminiscing about the last time the task force flipped. Niggas be running through the block shooting. Time to start the revolution. Catch a body half for Houston. I have a sense that Illmatic has a, a real, like, um, personal connection for you. Is that is that the case? Yes, it does for so many reasons. Um, Illmatic to me represented a time and it was just this pocket of time that existed if you were a young black male or a young urban teen of any any race or ethnicity that could understand and identify with this guy who was wise beyond his years but at the same time you heard the youth in his voice it was amazing it was like a an earth-shattering moment because it was so raw yet so poetic. Illmatic to me is a jazz album. Mm. Um, it, it's spontaneous. It's it's had so many jazzy elements, and it's jazz rap when you think of it. Mm. When you think of Illmatic, people think about it being hard, but it's really a very poetic and jazzy album, and very artistic from the intro. To the last record it's mm-hmm. just it's just perfect it's just perfect um Nas was 20 years ahead of the time when he recorded that album and um, me and my wife argue about this all of the time <laughs> oh my god this is a source this is a real a real sore spot in the household between <laughs> Illmatic and it was written okay but oh. she's <laughs> oh my god yeah it, it's rough um, she's a few years younger than me, so she says it was written is better. Mm. I I say Illmatic for different reasons, mm-hmm. and yeah. part part of it for me energy, and and again the rawness, the brash, the brashness. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's 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 just it's important that people um you know if they don't own it or haven't ever heard it. <laughs> They need to go listen to it now, um, you know. So I remember the day I listened to it, and again, this is another situation where my pops had the CD, and everybody came over. My cousins, you know, my uncles, and we was just in the backyard and stood for almost forty-five minutes in complete silence, listening <laughs> to the record. The only thing that one of my cousins, my cousin Cass, said was running back and then rolled the L. I wasn't smoking at that time. My dad was there. I wasn't that wild of a kid. But <laughs> he twisted it up and we listened to it again in mm. its entirety, back to back because of the energy and um everything that he was saying. Yeah. It, it was um, you know, from the horns on New York State of Mind yeah. to to like one of the best verses 
of a guest appearance ever on Nice a Bitch and how, you know, his dad, Ulu Dara, played, mm-hmm. the, 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 played on the end of that record. It's so yeah. beautiful and so sad. It's like a sadness. Mm-hmm. You can feel the pain. You I can agree. feel the pain. And this time, it's 1990. So I was waiting for this. Because people don't know that um, Halftime was on the Zebrahead soundtrack. So I was mm-hmm. waiting on this album since 1992, yeah. you know, and waiting on Nas since 1991, you know, um, from Live at the Barbecue. So I was waiting. So when it finally dropped and you heard Inklings about it, you heard different things in the streets and, you know, mixtapes were circling around with different pieces and the demos, but that wasn't never the real album. Yeah. When I finally heard the real album, it was just, it was crazy for me. And, you know, when you think of the 93, 94 era, you think about politics, you think about the, 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 the constant bickering of crime and violence. And then, you know, you think about the crime bill and how he spoke about incarceration yeah. and, losing, and losing friends, you know. And, and, and it was just, it was so perfect. And so sad and yet so poetic at the same time. Yeah. It just it just spoke of the the energy of that generation and the rage, you know, and the anger and resentment towards the establishment. It was it, it was pure poetry, emotion, and so eloquent for somebody that was nineteen to twenty years old during recording that process. And people need to understand that. Nas is writing these rhymes from the time he's 18, 19, 20 years old when the yeah. album was released. So think about that now, about what type of content somebody 19 is putting out now and put that up to Illmatic mm-hmm. and what yeah. that is. He was a musical savant. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it was miles beyond and so far beyond his time frame because the main thing people bitched about was that it was like 45 minutes. And now albums are under 40 minutes. And we accept it. Absolutely. But he already understood the format of perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention the fact that he went out and and put together a crew of super producers at the time. Incredible. To craft, to craft a cohesive record. So, you know, you got DJ Premier not being out of step with Pete Rock. And Pete Rock not being out of step with Large Professor. And then Q-Tip flexing his muscles on One Love. And, you know... A lot of people didn't even know what that sample was. That it was a rare record that Q-Tip just pulled out. But it's just a complete loop, and it's so perfect. Yeah. And Q-Tip is like people say that Mad Lib is the loop bigger. I don't think people understand the level of jazz that flows through Q-Tip's mind and the relationships that he actually has with musicians. Yes, and how yes. he acquired some of the samples that he acquired. So to be able to have the knowledge and presence of mind to find that loop at that time without the internet is <laughs> fucking crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like you know, I, I tip my hat off to everybody who made that record possible because it's so many one-liners and so so many profound statements on on that on that album. You know, and um, it's just will always be one of my favorite albums um, front to back of all time, period. So what's uh what's Tiff's argument? Ah the production. Um her argument is that she prefers the production on it was written and that it was written was more palatable. Um I get it. I understand it, you know, but I still feel that Illmatic holds a special place in my heart. Sure, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, period. Like I can't, I can't, I can't deny that. I cannot deny that. It's it's everything to me, you know. And I would never, I would never uh, back down on that argument. <laughs> never. <laughs> like. Yeah, and I'm aware Tiff is not here, so she can't like fully present her evidence. So right, maybe right, that's a, right. maybe that's a little unfair. Maybe if uh, Tiff really wants to, she can record that and send it to us. And... <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, I just want to go back to Lisa Bitch, just that <laughs> verse from AZ, yeah. you know. And again, he's ni- like 19 years old at the time. He wrote his verse. 
And I was you let those open the lines, visualizing the realism of life and actuality. Fuck who's the baddest a person status depends on salary and my mentality is money or reinstated invested and live the dream for my peeps who never made it this year. We were beginners in the hood as five percenters, but something must have got in us cause all of us turned to centers. I mean, it's so much. Mm-hmm. He is it, it's just yo, that album is it's incredible. And just again, just to think about their age. Yeah. They will rise beyond their years and you know he had a lot of pain and a lot of struggles, and it, it bleeds through. And it, it just resonated with me because I'm 13, 14 years old at the time. So these guys were only a few years older than me. And then I look at my cousins in the streets, my older cousins in the streets at the time. And I and, and the way that I look up to them, you know, driving accurate, you know, just fresh, barely out of high school, you know, $1,000 jackets on and things like that. I looked at that lifestyle and I thought, wow, you know, they telling my people's story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I didn't understand the other side of it, which was the pain. That would come years later, you know, when I started losing my family members and my and my friends to the streets and understood that pain even more. So it, it, even, reson- it even resonated more. You know, uh, I understood, like, the, the anger on... Uh, tracks like represent you know and that just that raw energy and the sounds and the it, it's so new york you know it was the quintessential new york album you had to live there to feel it but if you lived in any major city in urban metropolis you could definitely you could definitely relate to that album so um much respect to Nas again and everybody on that record it, it was it was perfect it was perfect I appreciate what you what you're saying about the pain in that record because I'm I'm not sure that everyone really picks up on the the like really vivid picture that Nas paints on Illmatic of trauma. I mean he's 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 giving Trace trauma a voice in a way that I'm not sure was really uh, so like articulately done previous to that. Exactly, exactly. So you know what I heard was like on Memory Lane and, and, and tracks where he's just you know, talking about the good times, but then he hits you with the bad times, you mm-hmm. know, or on One Love, him reporting back to his friend in prison, you know, um, about what's going on in his neighborhood, you know, and, and it, it, was, it was just a grim story, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? How the, his, one of his homeboys' nieces got, you know, killed at going to the beach. It was like, you know, she didn't deserve it, and it was so casual, the yeah. way that he said it in conversation. Right. Like, it was so normal to him. You know what I mean? So it, it was it, it was, a, it was a, definitely a lot of pain in that record. Um, but people didn't, I don't think, caught on to how casual violence was in, in, the, in our communities at the time and um, how people so young just dealt with it and were numb to it. You know, so, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely... A lot of pain in that album, but it was just done so beautifully and poetically. That's why um, people are going to talk about that record for years to come and study it, uh, and study Nas's work as poetry as well as Tupac's work as poetry, because that's exactly what it is. And um, I think that it's a portrait of the young black male experience at that time. It's a snapshot into America and what it was like for someone like Nas at that time growing up in, you know, New York City and Queensbridge out of the housing project. And um, even though he came to prominence and is now a millionaire and, you know, uh, a celebrated artist, that's the worst picture of someone's life that he gave you. It took him his whole life to make that album. That's why it's so potent, yeah. you know, and, um, and still, still is a classic to this day. So I, I always like to talk about, you know, how Illmatic is a jazz record to people and the spontaneity of his voice as an instrument and the way that he put together four syllable rhyme patterns which haven't been which wasn't done up until that point. He actually changed the way that people rap. Hmm. Similar to rock similar to when Rock M came out, he took primitive rap styles and made them into something more raw. And Illmatic can be, you know, heard and it may sound esoteric, it may sound 
you know, primitive now to some ears that have a more modern palette. But for me, it was modern and futuristic at the time when it dropped. And it, it, it still, you know, holds that to, to this day. And it has aged beautifully um, in my opinion. I, th- I think the album means and meant so much to black and brown youth when it came out is because they saw themselves in Nas and the stories that he was telling. I mean, it was representation for them. I- I'm sure it also served as as a way for them to deal with, you know, that pain and trauma that they were going through. It was therapeutic. It was an experience, something that they've they've never been able to sort of go to before. I mean, I think Elmatic is very unique in that way. Absolutely, absolutely. And then it served as a um, source of inspiration for me, for my records to be more personal and more open as well as to tell stories um, and utilize that, that format going forward to to make albums that people can feel like they can live with and they can um, digest and it, and it feels authentic to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so definitely uh, I identify with it in that way for more reasons than one. You know, a lot of times art imitates life and, you know, after that album, as I got older, got into the street, started getting into trouble, I started seeing some of the same things happen that he spoke about mm-hmm. you know, to my friends. Yeah. And again, I go back to that because that source of pain is also a source of my inspiration. Yeah. Drawing from nostalgia, telling the stories of my friends through my music. You know, um, my album, Return of the Golden Era, was about my friends. And, you know, my family members who was in the streets, I just told their stories like it was mine. You know, um, some of it is my story, but it's really the story of everything around me and the environment that was going on around me. And realistic with embellishments, but still, it was still just a generalization of like a novel of, you know, late 90s hustling in the streets and you know, losing people, you know, federal indictments and things like that, things that nobody ever wants because there's no winning situation in that, mm. you know, other than crime does not pay. <laughs> it does not pay at all, you know. Um, there's a such thing as called prison and a graveyard. So I, yeah. I, I just um, encourage people to hear uh, both sides of a message and both sides of a, um, of a story when they listen and please listen in detail and understand that hip-hop necessarily isn't this place that it's always you know violent and misogynistic it's it's also a culture where you get stories that are real so that you can avoid doing the same dumb shit you know and, and, and getting yourself trapped now some resting in pieces, some are sitting in San Quentin Others such as myself are trying to carry on tradition Keeping the sweat for us and speak at our essence inside us Cause it provides with the proper insight to guide us Even though we know somehow we all gotta go But as long as we leave and thieving, we'll be leaving with some kind of dope So into that day we expire and turn the vapors Me and my capers, I'll be somewhere stacking plenty papers Keeping it real, back and still getting high Cause life's a bitch and then you die Life's a bitch and then you die but Awan, we really uh, appreciate your time tonight. Again, thank you for for sitting down with us and spending so much time talking about yourself and your work and an undisputable classic and Illmatic. Yes. Oh man, it's a, it's been a pleasure, and I thank y'all for having me. And I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak on your platform. So I thank you again. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any information for people who are looking for your for your product, for your work? Yes. So um, for all those looking to purchase music, physical music, or um, merchandise, you can go to don'tsleeprecords.com, shop our store. Uh, you can follow me at A1, that's A-W-O-N-1988 on Instagram and Twitter. And please be sure to go watch Underdogs a documentary film by Tail Frank on Netflix. Um, it's really inspiring. 
It's about myself and my crew and our passion and friendship and our unconventional route in the music industry. So I just encourage everybody to do that, man, and um, absorb some good hip-hop. Check me out on Spotify, Apple Music, or your preferred streaming platform if you of the digital age. So, um, <laughs> And shouts out to all my people, you know, my wife, to the gift, Phonics, Anti Lily, you know, CEO, all, all of the homies, you know, my boy Rashad, everybody that's part of um, this process because it takes a, a whole village to mm -hmm. raise an MC. <laughs> you know what I'm no saying? Doubt. Yeah, so respect to everybody that's been helping me along the way. Thanks so much, A1. All right, no problem. Y'all have a good one, man. I appreciate y'all. This has been The Next Movement. I'm Rob. I'm E. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace. And make it easy on yourself. Yeah. Make it easy on yourself. Solar power. Easy on yourself. I'm on the Annie and San Pellegrino, you know. Make it easy on yourself. I was on my high horse walking with my eyes closed, living in the bird. Waking up with blindfolds, walking on the eggshells, barely could I exhale. Came to a point when I couldn't cope with stress well. Blocking all my blessings, constantly was stressing. Everything I couldn't change led to my depression. Life was overwhelming, that is a confession. And everyone finessing, my faith the Lord was testing. I was overanalyzing things that were obvious. Overmedicated to survive in the metropolis. It's like a black cloud, stay raining on the populace. So I'm burning loud, cold mind in my esophagus. Patience is a virtue, rushing it to hurt you Time is of the essence, work today, don't let it work you Take it for someone who thought about the ending You gotta take a loss to appreciate the winning